Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I'm your host, beauty journalist Brittany Stewart, and each episode I sit down with a guest to find out about their life, career, and the eight Desert Island beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. This week, my guest is Alison Rice. One of Australia's most respected digital publishers, Alison is the definition of hard work and hustle. She became the group publisher for Women's Lifestyle at Allure Media before she was 30 and launched US brands Who What Where, Birdie and My Domain into Australia. Then just a few months ago, she made the decision to leave what she describes as her dream job to take on her next chapter, including launching her own brilliant podcast offline, which talks to your favourite influencers about what really goes on behind the smoke screens of filters and social media. It's fantastic. Alison is so passionate about championing women's stories, mentoring and lifting others up, manifesting, and of course, loves a good beauty product. We talked about growing up in Western Sydney, why it's madness to decide what you want to do at 17, working in fashion, why she dislikes the term lady boss, her love of crystals and how she manifested her success, imposter syndrome, leaving her dream job, and what she plans to do next. It really was a privilege to chat with her. As always, you'll find all the links to where you can find Alison and her podcast and the products she mentions in the show notes of this episode. It is a long one, but Alison has such great advice and wisdom about life and career that I wish I had a pen while we were doing the interview to write down all her wisdom at the same time. And in fact, I'll probably do that now. Enjoy. So Alison, thank you so much for coming on to Beauty Island. You've been someone I've admired for quite a while now, so I'm really excited to uh, not literally sit down with you, but figuratively sit down with you. <laughs> and Well, what a pleasure. I think, you know, from one podcasting woman to another, it's actually quite cool. Since I've been kind of in the rhythm of being the interviewer, it's been quite cool to, to be interviewed. So, And I think the concept's amazing and I'm such a beauty junkie so I could talk about it all day. Thank you very much. Well yeah that sounds like my ideal so let's get into it. So what is your first memory of beauty? Where did your your love or interest in beauty kind of arise from? Mm, It's really interesting. I ended up um, in a beauty editor role at Pop Sugar I guess about six or seven years ago and that was never like a goal of mine so I've been reflecting back on that quite a bit as to how I ended up in that role. I guess I've always loved product, but more than that, I've loved the art of applying it and getting ready. And I'm quite ritualistic like that. So I've always really taken my time and I've always been someone who, you know, self-care is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but I've been doing that since I can remember. Um, And I guess it always, I think about my mum when I think about beauty and product because she she was a Tupperware lady I guess back in the late 80s early 90s when I was younger and and I do remember getting her getting ready to go out and do you know they used to go from house to house and drive around to sell Tupperware I remember her getting ready of an evening when my dad would come home from work to go and do her work and I remember she'd apply perfume I remember she used to wear almost like a very deep pink lipstick and you know the bullet was like really worn in (laughs) and I remember yeah kind of like playing with the with the lipstick and sort of loving watching her get dressed to go and do that so I think it definitely started there and then 
Yeah, interesting that I ended up in a beauty editor role, which I didn't stay in for super long, if I'm honest. I loved it, but I loved, um, I think, the more, I shouldn't say it's a bit of a dirty word, but the commercial side of beauty and understanding sort of that side, because it is quite a commercial industry that sometimes I feel like some people don't realise that it's a bit of an engine like that. Yeah, Um, absolutely. So, yeah, I really applied myself to the business aspect of beauty versus product. But then, gosh, it was the best 18 months of my life, like getting sent products and trying new things. And I definitely had the best skin I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) And you grew up in Western Sydney. I did. I always say I'm the best from the West. How would you describe your childhood? What was it like? Mm, You know, it. It was pretty humble beginnings, if I can be honest. Um, we didn't have, you know, I have a, I'm one of four kids, and you know, back in those days, that was that was hard. And I think a lot about my parents in those years and providing for us, everyone in school, more or less at the same time, everyone wanting new things <laughs> all the time. Um, so no, I came from pretty humble beginnings, public school, educated. So we had um, a caravan down at Kayama at East Beach Caravan Park. And if I think about my childhood, which I have been a lot lately, um, they are my, my fondest memories and they were the best years. And I really think what my sort of our parents gave us in that time was quite beautiful. It was a very, like every Christmas we would go for six weeks and there was lots of other kids who would go down as well. So we'd kind of meet every year and we'd all be a year older and You know, it started when I guess I was about eight or nine and then getting into my teen years and starting to, like, kiss boys down there. And, (laughs) you know, a lot of my, yeah, my childhood memories are certainly from there and exploring in that time. And and they gave us such sort of leeway, I have to say. Like, I think about we would leave in the morning and then just not come back until it was dark. Not quite (laughs) so common these days. I don't know whether I'd let my kids do that. So no, so I had a really good childhood, but it was it was hard, and I remember I remember being very aware of not having a lot in comparison to so, sort of my friends, and and I think a lot of my sort of professional drive came and was kind of embedded in that time of wanting perhaps more for myself as I got older, or just being able to be more financially independent and free. So I yeah, I have been reflecting a lot on that. Um, yeah, lately. When you talk about being independent, I think did, you moved out when you were you were quite young. You were sixteen, so that kind of independence came mm. quite early for you. It did. I moved out, yeah, for the first time when I was sixteen, in with a friend, and then I went home again, and then I moved out again when I was eighteen, and then again when I was, I think I did go home again. I was like, my poor mum was like, <laughs> I'm back, um, and then I left again. I think when I was about twenty, and I hadn't sort of moved back since but I had my own apartment I think when I was like 19 or 20 um, and I remember the rent was $165 a week and at the time I was like that is just astronomical Um, and I was working in Q the concession store at Meyer in Liverpool while I was studying in Penrith so and I was my apartment was in Camden and and I was kind of the first of my friends that had their own apartment too so it became a bit of a a place where we'd all kind of congregate before we go out for drinks and stuff Um, and I think I've always kind of been I guess a bit of an old soul like I've got a big belief in past lives and I've definitely been here more than a few times and I feel that yeah 
very intimately. It's interesting. I actually had um, my palms read yesterday. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and it was incredibly accurate. And he said to me, you know, when you were eight or ten, you began to self-isolate and you started to become a very independent person very young and that I'm decades ahead of other people in that sense. Like a lot of people don't go into that sort of way of thinking until they're in their early 20s. Um, and I can actually pinpoint sort of what was going on in my life when I was between 8 and 10 and I remember my memories of the household and my parents and and it's interesting because I did really sort of go in at that time. So, but you know, I haven't had done anything like that before. I had my palms where I haven't seen a psychic because I've been a bit scared. Yeah, <laughs> um, something, yeah, a bit. But now that I'm really starting to sort of explore, and it's broad, but like spirituality, I'm kind of ready now and it's been really interesting. And it's like, it's like anything and therapy included, like everything stems from our childhood, everything stems from the way we were parented. Um, and it kind of shapes who we are later in life. So it's been pretty cool to look back, to look forward, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I do want to talk to you a bit more about spirituality and manifesting, which I know are things that are really important to you um, a bit later. Yes. But this is Beauty Island, so we are going to talk about some of the beauty products. Yes. that um... the products, yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to the products. Um, so your first product is also a favourite of mine, coincidentally, the It Cosmetics CC Cream. Tell me about why you love oh it so God. much. I live and die for that product. Um, <laughs> Which is why it's always sold out everywhere. It is. You know, I remember um, I was I was in the publisher role at Pop Sugar and Birdie at the time it came out when Sephora launched here and they were very gracious and continued to invite me to events and send me product. Um, and they still do, thank God. <laughs> um but I remember I went to the event. I didn't really pay much attention to it because, you know, you get sent so many things and really particularly with, like, foundation, once you find one, it's pretty hard to move off it. Yeah. Um, and I was in, a, I guess, a bit of an exploration phase with product and they sent us a beautiful big media bag full of products to try and, I don't know, something kind of drew me to it. I, ha I swear to you, I hadn't heard of it. No one had told me about it. And I tried it with the brush that came with it and I was like, this can't be real. Like, <laughs> it felt amazing. It didn't have a scent, which I've been quite adverse to scents and synthetic fragrance of late. The coverage just has this kind of very airbrush. And because I have quite large pores and melasma, it kind of covered all of that. And then as it kind of sat and sunk into my skin, I started to get this glow that I'd never experienced with other product before. I guess it's the mix of sort of the sebum with the, the product, but I got so many compliments. And then I've literally been telling anyone who will listen ever since yeah. about it. And it's, it's definitely become cult. And I'm not saying I had anything to do with that <laughs> cult status because I know it sort of was a big thing in the, the US, but certainly I spread it around the office. All the girls in the team started using it. And then we just have this running sort of thing where someone would go to Sephora and be like, oh, my God, it's in stock. Who wants one? And we'd all buy, like, buy three involved. at a time. So. <laughs> and do you use it? Because I think, like you said, the coverage is fantastic. So it can kind of be used for a day and a night one. Do you use oh, it for both yeah. as well? I do. I Honestly, I'm not using anything else and I haven't for years. I will, like, dabble with, like, a Giorgio Armani Luminous Silk or – there's a really great NARS foundation stick if I really can't be bothered and I just want to slap something on quickly. 
and that's a bit lighter if I'm like maybe going out for brunch on the weekend and I don't want like a, to feel like I've got a full face on. But um, no, I use it at night and I especially love it at night actually because in photos it looks really beautiful. Um, and yes, if I'm at dinner with my girlfriends or I'm at an event, I find it has a really nice finish. And then I've also worn it on sort of panels and for any sort of public speaking I'm doing and I find, yeah, it. apart from maybe I need a little bit more sort of cement under the eyes, <laughs> um, it kind of works for all occasions for me and I think more than anything else, I just feel really comfortable in it and like I look like myself. So important. And, you know, when someone's up close, I'm always really conscious of like if my concealer's creasing or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> anything like that and I, when I'm wearing the CC cream, I don't have any of those, yeah, those hesitations or feelings. Yeah. Now, I listened to, you did a fabulous interview with the Ladyland podcast that was released a couple of weeks ago and said something that I found, well, said a lot of things that I found really interesting. But one thing that I didn't know about you, and I suppose it's it's very fitting giving the time, you know, a lot of 17, 18-year-olds, year 12s are sitting their own exams at the minute and, and trying to grapple with the decision of what to do in the future and career. So you actually failed your HSE you said I did I know <laughs> I try and tell that story a lot because it's been truly the biggest joy to tell my story to sort of aspiring writers or journalists or women who want to work in media or any sector really because you know there's so much pressure on you in that time to perform and I just there was various things going on in my life my parents had separated two weeks before my HSC. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, and I just obviously was not in the right headspace. It, and, you know, I, I look back and, you know, I dropped out of maths in year, I think, nine or ten. Whenever I – as soon as I called, I did. Um, I obviously didn't take to any of the um, science subjects um, and just understanding even at that age that I writing came very naturally to me, reading is something like – loved doing and still love doing and sort of art and the arts and just knowing that you know that's going to be my broad direction but also understanding and you know I I will admit I didn't at the time like I was really worried and I was really disappointed in myself and I felt um a lot of shame and guilt that you know, I can't remember what my mark was but essentially it wasn't enough to get into uni even an arts degree which is sort of the lower tier of um, entry points you need to get in. And so I do remember feeling shame around that time, but as I look back, I realise that that sort of was set, that obstacle was setting me up for a life of, you know, whatever is now deemed, I guess, success. And I try and be careful with that word because my version of success is very different to yours and, you know, other women, like, you know, I really honour and love my girlfriends whose success for them is raising a beautiful family and healthy kids, you know? Yeah. Um, so not wanting anyone to feel like they're not successful because they don't have this big job where people want to interview them or, or anything. But, you know, I look back and I think failing the HSC was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it meant that I went to, I had to work harder to get into uni, which meant an online take course I did, it meant doing internships. I did a sort of like a certificate in business as one of the sort of prerequisites to get into 
what is it, mature age, I think they call yeah. it. And I was like, <laughs> mature age at like 20, 21. <laughs> but it meant that when I got to uni, I took it very seriously. And also I had travelled, so I spent close to six months overseas. My dad was is and was living in the UK. So I kind of went out and got a lot of life experience and, and really solidified that I wanted to do journalism and You know, I know so many people that go into degrees and then change halfway through or leave because they hate it or never use it and it's like, what a waste of money. So, yes, when I look back, that failure actually did turn into a bit of a pathway for me and and I try and tell that story a lot, especially for young girls at this time when how are we supposed to know what we want to do when we're bloody 18? I know, exactly. (laughs) You know, it's a lot of pressure and I don't know if that brings out the best in us. And like you said, it really gave and gives you the opportunity to really work out if it's something that you want to do because you have to work that much harder to, to, to reach it. And I think what's also interesting is given, you know, your roles as publisher of Who What Wear and working in beauty and fashion is that I suppose not so much anymore, but the traditional path to get there would have been, you know, interning at the glossy mags and things like that. Totally. But I mean, your first jobs, um, MBF Healthcare, working at Frontline in the UK, at the Walkleys, which, you know, are not what you probably associate with someone who wants to work in beauty and things like that. But I imagine they gave you a whole set of equally important and different skills that benefited you. Totally. And I I absolutely credit those experiences and and decisions because they were decisions I made at that time. And, you know, I'm trying to be better at giving myself credit for that sense of knowing and that sort of intuition that there was a set of perhaps businesses and sectors that would help me have a more well-rounded understanding of the media industry. And then perhaps, you know, my success story in women's lifestyle really leans back on all the things I learned in more traditional journalism businesses and in, you know, even MBF. Like, I remember by doing that job, I was getting like a certificate in business or some such, I can't remember, which was one of the things I needed to get into uni. But the rigour and, yeah, that I learned at MBF, I had to, like, process hundreds of claims a day, healthcare claims, and we used to do that manually on a really, really old kind of, like, DOS system as well. So yeah. it was kind of like coding <laughs> in a way. <laughs> and also, I guess, the resilience that I built in that job because I didn't like it and it made me unhappy and feel a bit, you know, I wouldn't say depressed because I also don't use that word lightly, but definitely down. But I stuck with it, even though I wanted to run away from it. Um, And there's been multiple times in my career, even in the shiny women's lifestyle role, where I haven't loved it and I've wanted to run away from it. But you kind of have that, you know, that resilience that's like a muscle, isn't it? Like if you exercise it enough, it just kind of kicks in when, when you need it. But I think about the Walkleys. I met my first mentor there, Mary Cotter, and she emceed my wedding. Um, and still an enormous, enormously important person in my life. I probably don't tell her that enough. I will or call her enough. I will <laughs> call her. I might call her today. But she taught me about teamwork. She taught me about risk and collaboration. And she introduced me to her network. And that's something I've tried to pass down to other women that certainly I've mentored or had on my team is, you know, my network is your network now. And if we have that trust, 
I'm going to bring you in, you know, and hope that they do the right thing by you. That hasn't always been true. And the people I got to meet at the Walkleys, like I was commissioning some of my favourite riders, which was totally pinch me every day. Yeah. Learning how to plan events and panels, watching a lot of panels, which evidently has made me, I think, better on panels now or moderating them myself. And then I went and did a subbing role at Foxtel magazine. And I took that job. I went for that job because... I wanted to be a better writer and I knew through the Walkleys that sub-editors were kind of the holy grail on any publication and it's really sad now that the investment isn't there um, and a lot of that is outsourced and we've kind of lost that human touch of making stories better and that's a sub's job is was until I was in it that I realised how bad the copy can be yeah. <laughs> from some writers and then really making their work shine but not really getting any credit for it. That's interesting. <laughs> um, and I carried that through in my role as an editor and a publisher on websites as well, trying to help writers develop. And, and if I was going to edit and change their work, giving them feedback on why I had done that because we've lost a bit of that too because we work so fast. You just change things and kind of slap them up but you know that that year at Foxtel I will say that was also hard I was bored and but it, again it was rigor and it was training and now just you know I sub menus I sub <laughs> I sub the back of beauty you can't you know, help it product yeah. <laughs> cases, I sub other magazines you once you know how to sub you don't you don't stop really so so yeah everything I did before I went into women's publishing absolutely set me up for I guess being successful in a lot of ways now on to your second product that you'll be taking to beauty wow. island is one that I think actually comes up a lot with particularly beauty editors RMS Lip to Cheek. Yes. <laughs> Tell me a bit more about this that. This is actually, yeah, it's a new discovery for me because so many people had told me about it. But I've also got that thing in me where I'm like, I don't want to just use the cold stuff because I've also found sometimes when someone raves about it and it's a must-use, like, I don't really like it that much or I don't think it works as hard as I would like it to. And sometimes, as you'll know, it's the unsexy products that actually do the job. Um, but it's like, what does your sort of top shelf look like? Um, so I was in the States recently on holiday with my husband and we spent a week just rolling around LA. It was so fun. And I had been in the US a lot for work, but I'd never been able to kind of enjoy any of the cities I was in. So we did that and I went to Violet Grey on Melrose. So I went in there. And I'll tell you, like, I've got hundreds of products in my house right now, so I don't need anything. I think yeah. that's the hardest thing as a beauty lover when you don't need product but you still are compelled to buy it. I know that feeling <laughs> um, well. Yeah. <laughs> so I went in there and I thought, right, I'm going to buy at least one thing for myself that's going to be a memory from this store and this trip and this experience, but I also want it to be a product, yeah, that I'm going to love. And I asked um, Lori, her name was, she's the, she's a sort of store director and does a lot of the product selection and curation. She was amazing. Of course, I just had to get talking to her and quizzed her on a lot of different things. But I said to her, like, yes, I need nothing, but I need something. And she said to me, I think you've got to have something from RMS. And I didn't own anything from the brand. Heard a lot about it. I have a lot of um, cream pot luminizers. So I was like, I don't need the Luminizer as much as I know it's amazing. And then what I realised I didn't have actually was a beautiful cream 
cheek product in a peach. So when Laurie had said, I think you should yeah, get RMS, and, and then I tried the Litra Cheek and she put it on me, and having someone else apply a product like that is always better than applying it yourself. They often put more on than you would. They put it higher, they buff it in. And then I looked at my face and I was like, I've got to own this. <laughs> I look well more awake than I did before. So that has now become an absolute staple. I will tell you, I haven't put it on my lips yet. I will do that today. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I have definitely kept it to cheek. I do need to try their stuff. It's been on my list for a while. Now, I want to take a step away from Korea for a minute and talk about appearance on a few different levels. Obviously, anyone who follows you on Instagram knows you in real life as well, knows you have um, such great style. How would you kind of describe, I don't know, you're quite minimalist and pared back. Everything that you wear is beautifully cut, but it's not kind of screaming in your face. Mm, that is so lovely of you to say. So first, thank you. I, um, I'll tell you, I don't identify with being stylish. So being told that I am is like, quite joyful it's like what <laughs> and I think I don't know whether beauty people I found in in the media industry are kind of beauty or fashion and then I guess what I'm realizing maybe about myself as I get older is am I kind of like a kind of fashionable beauty person <laughs> versus kind of one or the other um I have very um stylish friends and one of my best girlfriends is Billy Iverson, who's the fashion director of Rush magazine. And Very cool. she, I will tell you, she, I should credit her and I should do that more often publicly because she certainly guided me and I've looked up to her style for a long time and the way she puts outfits together and the brand she wears or won't wear, um, so she is someone who very early on helped me refine, I think, because I was wearing, particularly when I was a beauty editor and you sort of at events all the time and always needing new outfits, you're getting photographed all the time. So I became more conscious of my style, I think, then. Yeah. Um, and I was wearing just a lot of Zara and H&M and, you know, again, coming from humble beginnings, that was still a bit of a highlight for me, being able to go in and buy what I wanted anyway. Um and then I kind of thought, oh, I don't know if I want to be so high street all the time, you know, like that fast fashion thing, again, like a bit of a growing conscious on that. Um, and I guess just broadly feeling a little bit basic, if I can say that, like I wasn't, <laughs> I was just like another woman on the street in a way. So, you know, I've set about doing a lot of self and development work and I kind of applied that work to my sense of style as well. So I love mood boarding. I'm a I'm huge on Pinterest. I love Pinterest. And so I started creating style boards of, you know, women who obviously obviously style I wanted to emulate, who were wearing um, clothes maybe I hadn't worn before but I wanted to wear. I looked at the way they were cut, how they tied things, the way they wore their belts. And I think that's the thing about great style. It's often very very small cues that make it work versus yeah. the actual piece it's kind of how you wear it I guess versus what you're wearing um and so now I've come I've come full circle and I know exactly what I like and exactly what I don't like which makes shopping so much easier <laughs> um and I'm wearing a lot more vintage so I'm trying to mix that back with 
you know, a quick high street buy or a quick trend fix. I'm trying actually not to buy into trends because now I just want my wardrobe to last a lifetime. I want to have beautiful things to pass down to my kids as well. You know, like mum was cool, mum wore cool things that you now think, you know, are amazing vintage yourself. So, um, yes, I'm much more of an investment shopper now. I'll do a kind of big buy twice a year usually when the sales are on on like matches or net a porter i have a very curated wish list on those sites so that i know what i want and that's manifesting for me in a lot of ways as well as i can go and look at reference yeah and see those things and think of those things and then hope those things go on sale (laughs) (laughs) um and buy them um and then i do a lot of um I guess I ask Billy a lot. I get a lot of advice if I'm going to buy something big before I buy it. So I'm not much of an impulse purchase type person. Um, and then I guess broadly what I've learned about my style, I feel good when I feel myself. Um, I don't like showing a lot of my body. And that's not because I don't like it. I've got, you know, the same issues we all do, which I'm yeah. trying to work through myself. But I feel more comfortable when I'm covered and maybe that's because I've got to be in a lot of boardrooms and with clients and it's not appropriate for me to have a midriff, you know, (laughs) um, out. I guess what I've learned also is I like a bit of a conversation starter. So I like everything to be kind of paired back and sort of very well cut and streamlined. But then I like one thing that, you know, you might ask me about or I might have a beautiful story to tell you because I think that's the thing about great outfits is they do start conversations between women. You know, you find that when you're like, oh, my God, I just have to ask you, what are you wearing or where did you buy that? Or It's such a quick way to um, bond, immediately bond with a stranger. Yeah, so, but no, I, I do also say like, you'll be surprised, like not, Everything I wear certainly is not designer and I feel a bit tacky if I'm too labelled up. So I've even had, I don't know, I've got this really amazing Gucci bag. I've owned, it's my second designer bag I've ever owned. I'm 33 and I used my first one, which is YSL. I'm not going to try. I can't say that like Saint Laurent. I don't know. (laughs) can't do those accents, but I use that every day for three years and then I got ready to invest in a new bag and I had um joyfully been taken to Singapore on a client trip with Gucci and it that was an experience buy for me where I'd said to Tony my husband like I'm going to pull some money out of savings I might buy myself a treat because you know I'm going to Gucci with Gucci (laughs) it needs to be Um, commemorated yeah and yeah we were in the store um Francesca who works on the brand and we had champagne and it was a personal shopping experience and I was like, I have to buy a bag and I owe it to myself. I deserve it. I've worked really hard. Um, I've cleared it with my husband so I don't have to hide it. <laughs> and now I wear that bag with pride, but I'm also very aware of the GG logo. Yeah. And sometimes it's too much for me where I'm like, oh, God, it's wealth. It's too much. Um, so, yes, that's a funny thing kind of the other flip side of appearances is and showing the truth behind the appearances is obviously your brilliant podcast offline which I have been devouring every Sunday morning as soon as it drops Um, thank you and you've had such um, incredible guests Paula Joy, Elle Ferguson, Pip Edwards, Chloe Brinklow just to name a few and obviously I feel like the the main question or the main aim that you you kind of pull out of your guests is the idea of true self and and who you really are behind 
the filters of social media. Why do you think it's important that we talk more or see more about the reality of what we're seeing on our screens? Mm. Well, that's certainly, and thank you, the podcast has also been, I don't know, I thought it was, and I mean this, I thought it was a bit of a bridge project for me to get out of my job and into something else, but evidently it's turning into a thing of its own and I'm trying to hold space for it in that sense that I don't have to run off and, like, do something else, right? I can actually be doing this and maybe build off the amazing community that is now sort of forming around it. And, and you know, as a creator and a podcaster yourself, like, that's the stuff of dreams. You don't actually expect anyone to, A, listen (laughs) or... B, talk about it or DM you about it or, you know, and for you to say it's like the first thing you do on a Sunday morning like that is absolutely wild to me. Um, so thank you because I need all the listens I can get. <laughs> um, but certainly the the concept was born out of this, I guess, growing concern that I had and have for particularly young women, but really all women, where I don't know, I guess that lady boss narrative and that girl boss narrative, it served us so much in the beginning and I think it really was a platform and propelled our cause forward in a lot of ways. But I guess I'm questioning now whether it is still serving us or is it in fact making us more competitive? Is it making us feel like if we don't launch something or if we don't, you know, become, if we're not an entrepreneur or if we don't have a multi business that we're not successful yeah or if someone doesn't want to profile us or interview us like is that the right I guess motivator for us to be out doing great work I'm not sure and then you know there's lots of women on Instagram that we all follow that we love and we aspire to be like and have lives like theirs but then being on the side and knowing some of these women personally understanding that we're all the same and we're all challenged with the same things. We all have the same personal issues going on, everything from illness to financial hardship, relationship breakdowns. It all exists, but then I guess I started questioning why aren't we showing it though because what we're giving other women is a highlight reel of our lives and it's actually a disservice to the people following but also us also because it makes makes us look one-dimensional and we're not and I, I've really tried to ground it in you know successful women successful people I think in general we're not I say we and I, I also I don't know I don't try to hold much ego around it but we're not successful because of the job we have or the following it's because of who we are and so how do we come to be these people it's through building moral code it's through understanding what our value set is it's our character our charisma it's the knowledge where do we find that knowledge and they're all the things we're not talking about so how do we develop as women that allows us to go out and do these great things but also when we find things hard what do we do what are we experiencing that maybe other women could identify with and relate to so yeah and then I guess the last piece of it for me was these you know, perceived Instagram influencers, they work so hard and it's been difficult over the years sort of fighting for them in rooms and standing up for them when people say, oh, influencers, God, you know, because 
there's a lot of people who call themselves an influencer and maybe some of them are doing a bit of a disservice to the people who are actually doing a great job and, and working really hard. But I also wanted to give these women in my life, I wanted to give them a bit of a platform and I wanted to show that they are much more and all of it, <laughs> you know, and they're all working till 2am and multiple jobs and you know just because it looks one way on Instagram does not mean that's the whole thing so so yeah and it's just been an absolute pleasure like I cannot believe it is doing as well as it's doing and yeah now I'm just trying to figure out what yes what I do with it yeah (laughs) you know and I mean as you said and you you have shared I mean, I can't imagine what your your DMs are like in terms of just the amazing feedback from people. Like you said, you do you know part of the reason was for young women, but it's also, and I imagine you you get this a lot. You can be your twenties and thirties and still get very disillusioned by what you're seeing on social media, even if you work in the industry, even if you know that totally. it is smoke and mirrors. So, so thank you very much for doing that because it honestly, it really is one of my absolute favourites to listen to. Oh, my pleasure! Thank <laughs> you for the feedback. Now on to your next product, which is a primer from First Aid Beauty. Can you tell me a bit more about about why you like this one? Mm, Well, I was categorically a non-primer girl and I thought it was ridiculous. (laughs) Even as a beauty editor, I very rarely wrote about primers because I just thought they were a bit of a marketing play, actually, until I tried this one. And I tried others that were just too, too chalky to me. And I felt like the primer actually ruined the finish of the foundation. And then I tried this one and it certainly is, and I don't like to compare products. I know that's very unfair, but it's kind of like a mix of an Elizabeth Arden eight hour cream and a really light gel moisturizer. So good for me because I'm quite, I get quite oily, but I have to say it, it feels incredible. It smells incredible it's very hydrating without leaving a finish at all so it kind of sinks in and sets. and I just feel like everything goes on better after it and stays on longer which I know is kind of the idea of primer I've since learned um (laughs) that has been a joy of a product to use and I've recommended that to a lot of people who don't use a primer you were at Foxtel magazine and then I think you went freelance for a bit after that and then during that time is when you first entered the um, Pop Sugar and then what went on to become so much bigger family as the weekend editor. And I wondered if you could talk us through how you went from weekend editor to the top job of group publisher and more about how kind of stepping up and, and realising that, you know, I can do these jobs or I, I want to do these jobs. Well, I will say I don't think there is yet, there hasn't been yet an occasion where I felt like I could do it. You know, I suffer from the same imposter syndrome that a lot of other women do. Uh, I think my story at Allure Media is really centred around a mentor who also happened to be the company's CEO, Jason Scott, his name is, and he was consulting in our business when I was the beauty editor and and then he went on to become the CEO and my I guess trajectory in that business is because he gave me a shot and I talk about that a lot now as a leader myself it's my job to give you a shot and an opportunity but it's your job to make it and so I'm really careful with you know I'm not I wasn't in that job solely because of him 
but he gave me an opportunity to show him I could do it. And I, it was me that did the work to succeed. Because, you know, a lot of the time as women, we talk about being lucky or in the right place at the right time. And, you know, that timing does, you know, it is a huge factor, but it's what you do with the opportunity. I think that's kind of down to you and your unique skill set. The weekend editor role was... I applied for that because I wanted to supplement my freelance income because, you know, I don't know if you freelance or it's not the most lucrative <laughs> affair. You're not making millions, <laughs> um, yeah. But I'd had a friend at the time who actually ended up working on Pop Sugar with me after. She forwarded it to me, the job ad, and said this could be cool, you know, as something to do from home on the weekends. And, you know, we were very much in that time where it was like, you know, digital, this blogging thing, <laughs> it could be a thing. Um, and I will say I I am an early adopter and I was early to digital when it wasn't cool and no one respected it in a lot of ways and that, they were hard years actually. And I would say in terms of being an early adopter, I apply that to podcasting. I apply that to leaving a top digital job, knowing that I was ready for the next platform, the next thing, um, and wanting to explore that. But yeah, I took the weekend editor role. It was offered to me. Nobody wanted to work Saturday and Sunday from home, seven till four. And I think that's a big part of my story as well, as I always did the jobs other people perhaps wouldn't want to do. From there, I started coming in a few days a week to help as the site grew. And then the beauty editor at the time moved on, evidently to a magazine, actually, and that magazine's now closed, unfortunately. So that's always interesting as I reflect back on we weren't seen as credible. And so a lot of digital early digital talent actually went to magazines mm. <laughs> because that was kind of a pathway in. So that's, yeah, interesting to reflect back on. I didn't actually put myself forward for the beauty editor role because I knew it was a very, you had to be an expert. And I was like, well, I'm not. I love product, but I couldn't claim to know really how to talk about it. But then, you know, I gave it a couple of weeks and they hadn't filled the role. And I just said to my publisher at the time, like, I think I could do this. And she took an enormous gamble on me because the beauty vertical of any magazine or website or platform is usually the most um, commercial and it's where a lot of brand's revenue will come from and so to have somebody in that role that hadn't done it before and wasn't really a name was a huge risk so I'll always be really thankful again for being given a shot and then we wanted to launch a health and fitness vertical but we didn't have the funding and so we couldn't employ an editor to do that so I just put my hand up and said I reckon I can do that too yeah. <laughs> and I really wanted the experience of launching something and that became an obsession of mine. So I did that and then I um, had had a writer underneath me and I learned a lot about managing in that time. I made a lot of mistakes early and and then when my publisher was um, going off on maternity leave, I remember I had just gotten married and I was on my honeymoon and I said to Tony, I could do that job but again, I'm not qualified, I'm not, you know. They're going to need someone quite senior. And, and I remember having a lot of regret that I hadn't put my hand up again as I'd done before. But you just think, oh, gosh, no, that's – don't be ridiculous. And then when I got back from my honeymoon, she sat down with me and said that she'd had a chat with, you know, who was then our CEO, Jason, our new CEO, and they agreed that, you know, perhaps it was worth giving me a shot and that they, they thought I could do it. And I was like, I've been thinking the same thing. <laughs> But I didn't want to say. And then 
and that was kind of the the beginning of my I guess proper success story in that business I did mat leave cover and while I was doing that cover we actually commenced the deal conversations for who what where and launching that in Australia and so that was always what I was going to go and do when she came back from that leave and then when she decided to focus on her young family it wasn't actually a conversation my boss and I had it was just well you're doing all of them and I was like right oh (laughs) you know and I'd, I'd proven myself I think in that time as well but you know we just had this great whip where I was like well I reckon I guess I'd be called like group publisher and he was like whatever whatever (laughs) call yourself what you want just do the job and do it well you know and that's been a really good learning for me as a leader as well like I don't really care what you're called I just need your help you know helping the business succeed so so yeah and then going in to launch who what where birdie in my domain I manifested that wholly I said out loud in the shower for 12 months I'm the group publisher of pop sugar who what where birdie you know and I really, I really feel like I called that in, to be quite honest with you. I worked hard, but I also, I put a lot, I wrapped it up in cotton wool and I held it really, really close to me for a long time. And that was a dream. Like, they were my favourite websites and launching them here, I don't think that will ever feel real, to be quite honest with you. And then going into that launch phase, what I've realised and learned about myself is that's me in my element building teams, writing great strategy, writing process and workflow and really nailing sort of the brand identity and messaging. I really love that. So, yeah, and then and then I was in there in total for, I guess, seven years. Who, what, where was just about to turn three as I finished up. And, gosh, it was the biggest joy. Like 2015 and 2016 – I try not to glamorise them too much because I didn't see my husband, I didn't see my family and my friends. I was very in the work and you kind of have to be wholly in it, I think, especially in digital. So, yeah, so that was an amazing career chapter, but I wouldn't say I had all parts of my life down pat at that point. (laughs) It was like, can I I be in a happy um, and loving marriage and run these websites? Yes throw in a friendship in sort of chaos or sickness in my family and that's when it all starts to crumble a bit I think but um but no it was that company and and those opportunities and Jason as a mentor like I will be forever grateful because they gave me the platform you know to launch the podcast they gave me access to the people who are now friends, who are guests on the podcast. Yeah, so it's kind of like it set me up for whatever is to come and I'm still figuring that out. And obviously you have just entered a new chapter of your career. Mm. Was it a hard decision to make to take that leap? Yeah, it was, you know, I don't want to be dramatic. Like I've been very blessed in my life in a lot of ways, but today it was one of the hardest things I've had to do. There's, of course, other things like, again, death and sickness and trauma. Like, but professionally, it took me 12 months to decide or 12 months to pluck up the, the courage to have the conversation with my boss. Yeah. You know, because when someone is not only your your boss but your mentor and your friend, 
you know, we were a real team. And so part of it for me was not wanting to let the team down and being in it with him to see it through in whatever that looked like. But then knowing that professionally I was ready and I didn't believe that the brands, broadly the team and the business needed me anymore and I always wanted to go out on a high and I wanted that to be on my own terms, I guess. And I had spent three years carefully mentoring my 2IC, Mandy, and I knew there would be a day when she'd be ready and that I would know that that would be my time to really think about what's next. And, and I saw it in her and, you know, she will continue to say that's not true, but she's very gracious like that. But she didn't need me in the day-to-day. I was working on other things and in the business. And so knowing that she was going to be able to lead and I was leaving those brands in the hands of someone who I trusted and she was the launch editor on Who What Where and then getting her across the pop sugar business You know, my husband read all of the trade press that came out and he said it reads like a love story, and it is, you know. That's the best thing about it is everything you see looking in from the outside is the reality, and I'm really proud of of that. And, you know, I thought I'd have an identity crisis, but I'm all right. It's been (laughs) about a month, and I'm feeling feeling pretty good. You're going okay. I mean, it's so so lovely, particularly hearing talking about your relationship with Mandy and the mentor and mentee. Yeah, mentee. Mentee. Yes. <laughs> because I just think, and it is such a stereotype, but, and I mean, particularly given in digital how time-pressed everyone is, maybe you don't, many people don't get those that opportunity because no one has the time to time. kind of give those and build those relationships and, and kind of invest in someone else's career as well as your own. So I think that's that's so lovely and, and uplifting to hear. And, and as you said, it's it obviously it, it comes across in all kind of your post in, in the handover and obviously mm. in the coverage that still goes on in the site. So that's that's so lovely. Oh, yeah. And she, you know, and if there's one, if there's one thing perhaps women or people listening could take away from this conversation, it's, you know, we talk about women supporting women and that sounds really great on your Instagram or you know, wherever you like to talk about it. But my biggest sort of drum to beat is what are you actually doing every day? Because that work is mostly discreet and silent and hidden. And, you know, I said the same thing to Mandy, like my boss gave me a shot and then I took that shot and I did something with it. He carefully mentored me. Like I always sound like a walking, talking Jason Scott and I will be forever grateful for his mentorship. And and you apply your own sort of sensibilities and and style to it, but the foundations, you know, they lay those for you and, and guide and help that moral compass and what type of leader do you want to be. And I instilled all of that in Mandy and I said the same thing to her, like you've got to pick someone you know, or two people, or if you've got time, three people, but, you know, who are you going to give that opportunity to as well? Like, find your person, and, you know, she happened to be mine. I wasn't looking for her, but, you know, I at one time had 18 women and under 30, oh, my God, (laughs) um, (laughs) working under me, and, you know, for there to be one in particular that really stood out, you've got to sort of take a step back and look as a leader at your team and understand well, who could help me lead this thing because we all need help, but also who am I going to give all of the goodness that somebody gave me? Because you change people's lives. Like you have an opportunity to do that 
if you can help somebody understand why you're making a decision or what you thought about to make that decision, that's the learning on the job thing that I think it's not a course. You know what I mean? It's not it's not a degree you can go and get to learn how to do something. It's like, can you be an active coach and, and show someone the way you think and how you think? And I think that's actually what shapes great leaders. Absolutely. Such such wisdom there and very inspiring. So thank you. Now you spoke you. about your um, your husband Tony, who I believe is also a creative, working in a similar or the same industry in different roles. And from kind of what you've spoken about and what you share on social media, it seems like you have, and obviously supporting each other through the, those those crazy years, focusing on your career. It sounds like you have a real partnership. Yeah, he. I speak about him a lot because it's weird, like, as a, I guess, I don't know if I can still call myself young, I'm 33, young-ish. Certainly when I was, like, I guess peaking career-wise, I was, like, 29, so I was seen as quite young for, like, a digital publisher. But, yeah, as a young woman in a leadership position, it's interesting for me to reflect that it's actually men that have helped me reach my potential and men that are big supporters of women in business and women in leadership and also men who who have a very different style to I think a lot of other sort of the stereotype of a senior man in business um and and Tony and Jason are absolutely that for me and Tony's 13 years older than me so when I met him and I always like telling the story because you know if you're single, you feel like you're just definitely going to be single for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> There's no part of you that's like, well, this just isn't going to happen for me. And I was only 24 when I met him and I'd been single for four years. And I honestly like, <laughs> so funny now, because I was like, well, this is it. I'm just going to be a writer and it's going to be great and I'll travel a lot and I'll, <laughs> you know, I'll have a good life, but I'm just not going to get that love and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um and then Tony was 37, right? So for him to meet the love of his life, really at a time when we would be like totally shooting ourselves at 37, like, that's like <laughs> you don't meet someone then. Um, so I always like to say like you just never know like when they're coming for you and that we find that person when we're in the right frame of mind and certainly they are too. Like I'll be honest with you, I don't know whether Tony and I would have worked when he was younger because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know whether he was really the type of guy that I would have gone for, but what I got at 37 was this extremely mature um, man who had lived a thousand lives and was very sure of himself and confident and, yeah, experienced. And because he's in media, as you were saying, he's a creative director. He was able to also mentor me in a lot of ways as a, a young writer who didn't really know what she was going to do. He helped me understand the industry. He introduced me to people. Tony was a huge, a, played a huge role in, in like this kind of like Alison Rice success story. Taking his name was a joy as well because I was like, you know, Tony Rice, he's the man. He, <laughs> everyone knew him. And then all of a sudden I was his, his wife, but he has just been my ultimate support like in those big years and still to some extent now washes my clothes you know he's very active I guess if I can say that in the household in a lot of ways like it's very he showed to up hear. for me in areas of my life that I couldn't be there for myself <laughs> um and just making sure I was like fed and slept and 
Yeah, so, and he's just very fun. He's very funny. <laughs> we have a very, I did, I've spoken about it a bit. I did a year of therapy last year, and the, my therapist told me that we were enmeshed as a, in a relationship and what that means is like healthy relationships have a little bit of distance between them so you operate as like independent people and she said him and I were like closed into each other you know we're like very I'm doing like a hand signal that now that I'm you kind of see. Ima- yeah visualizing I think I'm visualizing what you're doing <laughs> yeah um and she said you know you've got to be careful of that because you need you know a little bit of space as you kind of grow together in your marriage and I spent a lot of time sort of, I guess, intellectualizing that, thinking about that, and I spoke to Tony about it a lot, and where I came out was, no, actually, this is intense, enormous love, and I just have to be in it wholly, and I'm a Cancerian, and I just am in things like that, Um, you know, and it's all of me, and I just decided for myself, like, no, I, I love our love, and I... You know, sometimes I love him so much it scares the shit out of me and I know he feels the same. But I don't want to have to, like, decrease or, like, minimise it to protect myself as well. And that's been a huge revelation for me. Like, no matter what happens, you know, i got to be in it wholly. Yeah. And, yeah, he's just my buddy and my lover and my friend. and I just think he's awesome. <laughs> That's so important. And that kind of leads us nicely on to, you've got two perfumes on your list. We've got Chanel Number no. 5, a classic, yep. which obviously you wore at your wedding. So can you tell us a bit about, I mean, it's obvious why it's special to you, but kind of the memories that you have with that? In the last, I guess, four or five years, I've actually stopped wearing synthetic fragrance. I did a lot of work with a very key sort of woman and healer in my life, Jeannie Burke, who owns Venustus Beauty and Body Lab in Paddington in Sydney. And she helped me understand that everything I was putting on my body was affecting my hormones, it was affecting me energetically. And the moment I stopped wearing perfume, I just can't tell you how grounded and just stable I felt. And so that was an interesting learning for me. But there's perfumes like Number no. 5 that hold, yes, very special meaning for me. I wore Chanel Number no. 5 to my wedding. And the reason I wore it to my wedding is because my mum wore that perfume. Oh. And I still, still wears that perfume, actually. And so when I think about, you know, scent memory, when I smell it, I smell her. And I smell hugging her when I was little. And then I also now smell my wedding. And I, I have, like... I was saying I'm very ritualistic and on my wedding day, you know, it's just a big day and there's lots of people around and before I left to go to the ceremony, I kind of locked myself in the bathroom with the perfume and some rescue remedy. (laughs) I don't think that stuff works, but I think it's more of a mental thing. Um, And I, I just stared at myself in the mirror and I really tried to take a moment to kind of look at myself as a bride and and really think about how I wanted to how I wanted the day to go and how the energy I wanted to bring to the ceremony and Tony and how I wanted to show up for him because that's very intentional that way of thinking otherwise you're just in it and living on the surface of it and you don't remember it so I always try and ground things in such like mini moments I guess and 
yeah, I, I just remember like looking in the mirror and I thought I looked incredible, <laughs> as you do. As I'm you sure you did, like yeah. The best version of you. And I dabbed the perfume on and um, Chanel had actually gifted me a brand new bottle for my wedding. And I was very grateful for that. And it was the, um, is it how, is it Parfum where it's like the actual juice? Yeah. yeah, the stronger. Yeah, stronger. And it has the dabby top, not the spray. Yeah. And the ritual of putting that on my neck and my chest and I put it on the back of my neck under my hair because, you know, scent really gets powerful when it's warm. And I'll always remember that time. And I've kept the bottle, so it's obviously off because I've been married for five years. Um, so I smell it every now and again. I move it in different places around my house. I do that a lot with everything. But um, having it where I can see it um, is really important to me um, just so I can reflect and remember. And, yeah, every now and then I'll have a whiff, but it doesn't smell like number five anymore <laughs> smells a bit off um anytime I can I gift it to my mum oh yeah so it's lovely that it's that kind of connection between you two and obviously now yeah. so it's it's one that holds memories for you but it's not one that you you wear so much anymore and the one that you have replaced it with is your next product so and you have mentioned obviously Jeannie of Vinistus who has obviously had an incredible impact on kind of your way of thinking and, and, and your beauty routine too, obviously. So what is the perfume that you wear now? And, and tell me a bit more about what the, the biggest lessons that you, you've learned from kind of tapping into your your spirituality with, with Jeannie. Yeah, the woo-woo. Everyone's calling it woo-woo at the moment. <laughs> I'm like, it's not bad. <laughs> Look, if, if anyone is able to visit her, I think she'll change your life. She changed mine. She changed the course of my life and she helped me develop as a woman and what I'm now calling unique female codes. So really what the podcast is grounded in is all of the lessons that she's taught me about self and that's why she's the first guest because honestly the podcast is because of her and she is my sort of ultimate teacher in a lot of ways and all of her products are um, organic and again I'm not really that way in totality in my life I try and be conscious of it but I also use Botox right so it's like <laughs> I'm a bit Balance. of a walking contradic contradiction um, and she hates that I do that right so I'm not perfect um, but it's I've spoken a lot about Botox and if you really get educated on it there's a lot of other things that we're putting on our skin that are worse if not just you know as bad and for me it's been a real confidence booster and I did it right before my wedding actually and then I've done it as sparingly as I can following that with a doctor who has a preference to under treat so you know a lot of people will be surprised when I talk about it but I'm like that's a good doctor a good job. A good job done, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't sort of um change your face um but with Venustis I guess part of what she's taught me is owning and understanding spirituality on a level that isn't woo-woo and that isn't just crystals. And I'm trying to do it more service now and talk more about the lessons and the learnings and kind of what spirituality is. But she uses lots of different um, techniques and healing methods from lots of different cultures to help um, the women who she sees. And we're all challenged with the same stuff, overworked, overcommitted, um, 
a lot of self-loathing, some very negative internal sort of dialogues and narratives that we run on ourselves, which is such a shame. And what she does is she works energetically on unblocking that emotional pain and releasing it from your body. You'll pick scents, um, crystals, that sort of, um, and she'll talk about why you've chosen those crystals. You can work on personal manifestations or, you know, she has three amazing therapists that will visualize alongside you in the treatment. So it's very powerful, again, energetically in the room. And I guess through seeing her over the last six years, I've grown to love her products and I guess they transport me where I need to go quite quickly if I'm needing to. Um, And so I wear a couple of her fragrances and they're all water-based, again, organic. One of them is called Cancer, I'm a Cancerian, so she has roll-ons that are customised for your star sign. And so for, for mine, being in my shell, and I'm actually quite an introvert in that sense, it's beautiful. There's like a little bit of cinnamon in it. And she said, you know, that's kind of like for the inner crab to like help draw you out, like entice you out. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's like a very sweet smell. And I use a um, face spray called Spiritual Cleansing, which is lemon-based. So it helps me with clarity and decision-making. And Yeah. And, oh, gosh, I mean, I could talk about her all day. <laughs> and I will recommend everyone listens to, again, your, your interview with her first episode of offline because you'll you'll just get such an insight and you kind of delve more into into the spirituality side of things so definitely recommend listening to that and i'll I'll pop the link (laughs) and you get a bit (laughs) teary so i'll pop the link to that in the show notes for this so we're on to your final few products i think we've got two more so brows i understand that you have you have very much a go-to product for your brows what is it I do. It's the Kevin Aquan Precision Brow Pencil, and that's what it's called. Um, and I have used so many other brow products, and that's the one I now continue to buy and almost use exclusively. I'll try other things because I'm like, come on, be you know exciting, be interesting, <laughs> try something else. Um, but I keep coming back to it because literally it's in the name, but the precision I'm able to get feathering on what look like, you know, hairs and making my eyebrows look a bit denser but still soft Um, because I really like a full brushed up brow and I see um, Leanne Davies who owns Brow Confidence and I see her like four times a year because we work together on growing out my brows to my natural shape Yeah, and so all she does is trim and pluck and then I just use the pencil in between and... I am obsessed with it. I'm like a real brow person. So if my brows aren't done or right, I'm totally thrown. Um, And that's my thing, right? Like if I have to have my hair and makeup done for something, I will generally go to the bathroom, take off what they've done to my eyebrows and do them again myself. (laughs) Because, yeah, you know best when it comes to your brows, don't you? I just think the Kevin Aquan one is is the go-to and I use brunette and like, again, having a lot of products, you don't need to buy anything, but that's the one I go to Mecca. And I spent $48 on that. Yep. Worth it. Worth every penny. Cent even. <laughs> now, what is next for you? Obviously, you've got the podcast. I know you've got a career advice column coming soon as well. Are you... Yes. I mean, do you have things that you know you want to do or are you kind of enjoying this, this time of transition? 
Yeah, it's such an interesting question and I've done a lot of work, I guess self-work and mental work, getting to a point where I'm okay with not having an answer for you because, you know, when you're in a really big job and it's high profile, I didn't, I guess I was a bit naive where I didn't realise how unsatisfied some people would be with me not having something else to go to. Um, And, you know, the reason I did it that way is there's nothing else I wanted to do. And I I actually thought I had the best job. (laughs) Um, And there wasn't another brand I wanted to work on. Media is very challenged. And I think that that will sort of come full circle. But I also wanted to leave and be open to opportunity and explore creating again and the podcast was a big part of that you know the more senior you get the less doing you do and I was getting a bit worried even for my own sort of career future proofing that I you know I can conceive the podcast but do I know how to produce the podcast so getting back onto that sort of like getting my hands dirty and being able to do something that's my own and brand it and talk about it the way I want to talk about it was yeah really important to me so I guess I thought the podcast was a bridge out and what I'm realizing is it's much more than that and offline um, I guess as as own entity could be um, interesting I'm exploring what that could look like by way of mentoring I think maybe we're ready for a new mentoring model that isn't necessarily just career focus, but maybe it's where identity and self intersect with career. Um, So I'm having a think about that, but I'm also trying to be gentle on myself to say, you know, you worked basically seven days a week, 12 hours a day for seven years. Like it's okay to take Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And um, and I'm I'm trying every day to really, relax and sit in that and like as you'll know the podcast keeps you busy a couple of days a week yeah as it is um there is uh an uh, an idea that a business partner and I are very focused on getting off the ground and then a friend of mine we also have an idea that we would like to start so I guess what I'm understanding is you know there's that thing where it's like you got to do this job and be called this thing what I'm realizing is I can do lots of different things and that's okay. I think that's been a bit of a revelation for me. Um, Yes. I mean, I guess long answer short, I am in a period of exploration and I'm trying to stay on, I guess, in a lane that feels really authentic to me and that my skill set's going to be useful and I'm actually going to really enjoy the work. So, yeah, so I wish I had, like, a neat and tidy answer, but all I I have right now is um, I feel very happy, I feel very fulfilled, um, I feel very calm, and I'm just trying to maintain all of those things as I kind of navigate where maybe I could be useful to a business um, or a person, um, and then also what would be useful to me personally as well. So whatever is to come, some very exciting interesting and, so. and, and different things <laughs> or i'll be begging people for jobs so we'll see 
I'm sure you won't be. Now, your final product um, on your list is, again, a very practical one, both living in Australia and when you'll be residing on on the wondrous beauty island, which is a sunscreen. And we kind of spoke about how difficult it is to find a good one. So what is your recommendation? What's your favourite sunscreen? Yes. So um, my facialist, James Vivian, he's new for me. (laughs) I hope we also have a long and healthy relationship. (laughs) Um, But he's incredible. He's based in Melbourne but comes up to Sydney to treat clients every six or so weeks um he got me onto the cosmetics range of skincare um i will say i'm having like my skin is peaking at the moment i'm definitely on a good run and you know it's kind of like seeing that and staying on it because i nearly got off track and went to do the um the rationale yeah i nearly did that i was like no stay this is working (laughs) Um, so he got me onto cosmetics alongside a stronger retinol um, and like a pore perfecting serum. But I guess the cosmetics brand that has been truly a delight is the Reflect sunscreen. And I'll admit to you, I had a, a couple of years where I was really good with the sunscreen. And then I just found like I looked white in photos. It would be either too sticky or... You know, it just wasn't good under makeup. And so I just thought, oh, I've got the 30 plus in the cosmetics, that'll do. But really, it doesn't do and it's not okay. So once I tried this, I was like, oh my God, it's like the sunscreen I've been waiting for. It's a spray bottle, but I actually spray it onto my hand and then rub that together and kind of press it on my skin. Yeah. And it comes out white. But it goes on, as soon as you rub it in, it goes quite clear. So there's no kind of leftover, I guess, residue and, and stuff. And it sits really beautifully, yes, under makeup. And that was the other thing with skincare is because I had had so much and I get, I was getting sent a lot. I, you know, having a reason to buy expensive skincare is hard when you have other stuff. Yeah. This brand I've, bought beautifully I was gifted it right before I left work so I've got a little bit of a stash (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I know after that runs out I'll have to go out and buy it which is fine and just knowing that like investing in skincare is honestly the best thing we'll ever do it just hurts a little bit at the counter I think (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh yes and now my final question for you which is kind of inspired by the final question that you asked all of your guests when you asked when you ask about their true selves. I wanted to ask you, who do you want to be? So not what, but like, who do you want to be? Who do I want to be? Um, I want to be, well, I want to be Alison and I want to be, I want to be as close to Alison as I can be, I think. Um, And I'm really feeling that now that I'm closer to knowing myself than ever before. And I also want to be, I want to be the ultimate nurture and that's really coming through for me in a lot of different areas in my life. I want to be, yeah, I want to be wise. I want to be interested and interesting. I want to be helpful. I really want to be of service and that's something I didn't really know about myself until recently. I kind of live in service and that's, that's kind of cool to know. I hadn't really identified that about myself. But yeah, certainly these days, what I want to be is not called anything or it's not a title or status. It's certainly I want to be 
like a good um, woman who helps other women and means it. Um, and I hope that's coming through in the work I'm doing every day. Um, Absolutely. From an yeah. outsider. Yes. Amazing. And I realise I said final question. I do have the one final, final question, which is oh, go on. <laughs> of, of, all, of all the products that we've spoke, the eight products we've spoken about today, you can only pick one to take with you to Beauty Island. I'm giving you sunscreen, so you'll be well protected. You won't get burnt. So if you had to pick just one product from the ones that you've spoken about today to keep with you as you spend however long on Beauty Island, which one would it be? Um, look, I would have to take my Benustus on spray, my water spray. I didn't talk about that product in particular, but I did talk about the range. Yeah, um, that counts. But yes, that's certainly a product that I would spritz on my face several times a day, do some deep breathing. If I was going to go and sort of have a bit of a self-reflection moment, I would spray that. It's a huge part of like the ritualistic Allison. So I would definitely take that with me. Wonderful. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and learning more about all the incredible things you've done and are doing. And just, I can't uh, count how many pieces of um, things you've said that I've like, got to listen back and write that down and take, a, take <laughs> it on board myself. So thank you so much. That is very sweet. Thank you. I have loved being on your podcast i think it's an amazing concept i love like yes even just the little journey we went on and how you weaved the products into my story i think yeah what a very cool concept for us beauty lovers but it's been a pleasure talking as you can see i'll talk your ear off (laughs) no thank you very much and yeah really really appreciate all your time this morning or this afternoon thank you Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would mean the world to me if you could give the podcast a five-star rating and write a review if you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Beauty Island is a very small, independent podcast, and that really helps other beauty lovers find us. Even better, tell or send it to a friend who you think would enjoy it. They can listen on the Apple Podcast app on their phone, iTunes or Spotify, and it's completely free to subscribe. You can also post on your Instagram stories that you're listening and tag at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see and share. For more behind the scenes and details about my Beauty Island guests, find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast. And of course, if you've got questions, a recommendation for a guest you'd love to hear on the show or feedback, my email address is in the show notes along with all the products we've talked about today. Just click on the more details about this episode and you'll see all that info. Thank you so much and until next time, bye-bye.